All right. Well, uh, and thanks for leading us in prayer today, Catherine, bringing us in today as a call to worship. And as we gather as a family, this reminder that, yep, this is still one of my favorite pictures of Sky right here. Yeah. He's so cute. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. Um, we are starting a series um, just for the next few weeks looking at our uh, familial, our servant and missionary identities. And uh, this is very much going to feel like we're the preaching to the crowd. And I was thinking that up until we sang um, uh, that last song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a son of God. And I was reminded of about uh, three years ago, four years ago, at one of our Soma family retreats, God was working through um, this idea of loving him as father. And I had preached and taught very similarly what we'll talk about today, that I see God as my father, right? I talked about it, said it over and over again, but I had not been experiencing the love of the father. The father's love, like I was, I could say it, I could tell you that, and I would tell everybody else out there, you need to know the love of the father, but I was not experiencing the love of the father. I was not, I was completely distancing myself from God or had a distance between God, a disconnect in that. And over the course of those two or three days that we were there, God so graciously came alongside me and said, I'm your father. And I, I, I really didn't like that song before. And I don't think it was because of the father identity. I think some of it was maybe some of the versions I had heard uh, before. Uh, but that, the, the first song is I'm like coming out of that, coming to God, praising God as father, was this very song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And that reminder of that, what a gracious father we have that would bring a song into there to remind me like, hey, that's, this may be not been a song you would have loved to sung before, but you, you love it now. It's yours. And so I can say as someone for, who spent a lot of time focusing in on these identities of, our, of being a family of servant missionaries, it's easy to know that information. There's something different to live that out for it to impact your heart, for it to change who we are. And so coming out of our time in Acts, I want that this refocusing our hearts and minds are, on who we are in Jesus is important. Um, it's important because it's easy for us to drift away from that. And rarely do people just like take a, you know, a quick turn and it's like a, it is a drift, right? If you were to think back to some of the institutions that we know in our country, right? Uh, Harvard University's original mission statement had the phrase in it to prepare ministers of upright character. And their, their, their founding statement, that was a phrase that was in there. Uh, the YMCA, right? We all know the why, right? What do we know the why for? Out of us, other than the song, right? We know it for a place you go to do recreation, right? Like it's you go swim or you go do events there. In its first few years, it sent 20,000 missionaries across the world, right? We can look at this over and over again. I'm not looking at each of these two and going like, there, there's something wrong with them. No, what happens is when we lose sight of the mission, lose sight of the focus, lose sight of who we are, it's inevitable that we will drift to something else that we will move towards something else. They lost focus on who they were and what their mission was. We are in danger of the same because we're continually being formed and shaped. We talk about this often. 
It's happening every day. We're formed by the people and the places, uh, the people and places we go to, uh, work, uh, the, the people we live our lives with, by the information and media that we consume. And if we don't keep reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has done and how we should live in light of that, we will fall into that same mission drift. So in one sense, it's preaching to the choir, but in another sense, it's the exact message we need to hear every day. We can't forget it. We can't move past it. It's so foundational that we think, oh, we can just get past it. I, I, I understand that. In fact, it's a reminder that even over, like how quickly, uh, I think the last time I preached on this was uh, 18 months ago. So they're like, oh, that's not that long. I was like, well, imagine even there, right? Like how much has happened and what's different in there? It's a message that we could talk about day in and day out because the world around us is not forming us and shaping us in this identity of God as, as, of God as Father. So regularly, even daily, we need to remind ourselves of who we are. So today, I want us again to let Jesus redefine, redeem, reshape, and rework in us into these new creations, right? But it's not easy, right? It's not easy to live this out, not just today, but in everyday life. But it's worth it. To follow Jesus is an uphill climb against the current. But we aren't alone and we aren't doing it ourselves. We are disciples that have this new baptismal identity, right? A family of servant missionaries sharing and showing the good news of Jesus in all of life. That's who we are. That's what we say we are about. Sharing and showing the good news of Jesus in all of life. And so that brings us back to those questions that when we look at scriptures, any scripture we go to, right? We ask the question, what does the scripture say about who God is? What does the scripture say about what God has done? And then what does that say about who we are, how we are to live, right? The, 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 the difference between indicatives and, and imperatives. We like to focus on the imperatives. What do I do? Tell me what to do. I want to know what to do this week. When I get up tomorrow morning, what do I need to go do? But that flows from the indicatives or the truths or the statements of simple facts. Who is God? What has he done? And then we can begin to know who we are so that we can know how we are to live. We just want to live and be good people. So in scripture, we can see these indicatives that what Christ has done for us and the imperative is then what we must do. Our who we are precedes what we do and how we live. It's the being before the doing, right? And again, I can even feel like I've said this a million times. We, I can't say it enough. Our being supersedes what we do. But what do we focus most often in our life? What am I doing? What's my schedule like? Instead of what's informing my schedule, what's informing how I live each day, the choices that I make. It comes again from this baptismal identity. We see this identity that's been given to us. We see, I love the picture that God gives us of Jesus being baptized in Matthew 3 before he's done anything, right? This picture of uh, even if you think back prior to his baptism, it's 400 years of silence from the Old Testament. The Messiah was coming. John, ba John the Baptist is preparing the way, and he looks and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is baptized, right? This idea of repenting and turning and following God to be baptized. Jesus came up out of the water, and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down and look, looks like a dove. And then God speaks, this is my son whom I am well pleased. This was the kicking off of his ministry. This, he hasn't done a thing yet. 
He hasn't, he hasn't gone out to be anything. He's been, uh, you know, obscured. No one else is going, hey, there's this Jesus guy back here. He's a really great carpenter. We don't know anything about Jesus before this other than the Messiah has come. It's sealing his identity to him, the world around him. For 400 years of silence, the voice of God cries out, this is my son. There's silence, and then what does God do? He declares, this is my son. He declares over him his identity, bringing him into this picture, right? So who we are precedes what we are to do and how we live. So those next three years is Jesus continuing to just pour in to those disciples, This is who you are in light of Jesus. This is who you are in light of the gospel. This is who you are in light of the good news of what I'm bringing, this new kingdom that comes. He's turning everything upside down, right? It's not just about upholding law. It's about living. It's about being this person. And the crazy thing is you can't do it. You need me. And so after his crucifixion, And then his resurrection, he gathers them together before he leaves, and he tells them Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We've heard this before. Now when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? This is the picture of Jesus' call to them. It wasn't the first thing he gave them. He didn't say, hey, you're following me. Okay, go make, go baptize people. Go, go do the same thing. He's basically saying, look at my life. Have you seen it? I lived this life where I was cultivating my relationship with Jesus, my, I mean, my relationship with the Father. Jesus is saying, cultivate that same thing. I've been teaching you how to do that. Now, go do, make others like you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is connecting them, sending them out and um, and letting them know what is true about them, that they are now part of this new family. As we studied in Acts, these first, those first seven chapters of Acts, it tells us before they could go on the mission of God that they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then they would be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what happens next? Um, they share and show this good news of Jesus for three, and then 3,000 people are saved and then 5,000 people are saved and soon the city of Jerusalem is turned upside down by a bunch of ordinary people filled by the Holy Spirit recognizing who they are from what God's done sent his son Jesus who showed them again the way to the Father there's not just in their own power it's beyond that and then they begin to live this out We see this picture, it's the church as family, right? There's no need among them, they're devoted to the teaching, they're sharing meals together, they're praying to the Father, they're living out out God as their Father, adopting them into the family, they are sons and daughters. It then changed how they lived. They didn't just start doing different things and all of a sudden became different. No, they recognized their identity had changed and then that changed how they lived this life out. So think of this again. Who is God? He's the Father. What has he done? He has adopted us. So then what does that make us? It makes us adopted sons and daughters. It makes us family. It's the thing that unites us together, right? 
But the hard part is when we talk about family, family is a mixed bag, right? Yes. Because yes. when I say family, I have the things that I think about of my family, right? And when you hear family, you're like, oh yeah, there's the great things in my family, and there's the hard things in my family. And I begin, we begin to deal with all the things that are hard and complicated, right, and family, right? And then if you ever, to get married and then you join families together, you're like, oh, I've got someone else's family and their stuff. And I thought my family was weird until I met this other family. And the other person's thinking that. Have you ever been a part of somebody else's family? Has anybody ever gone to somebody else's family reunion? No, because that's kind of like, we don't do that very often because it's like, I just, it's, it, I, I keep my odd family to myself and you keep your odd family. We don't want anyone else to come and go, what are they doing, right? But as we begin to bring these things together, what family is when it is good is loving and caring, self-sacrificing, forgiving, right? But often we also experience brokenness and hurt, resentment, a codependency, baggage, right? It's a mixed bag of both of those feelings. So then when we say if God is our father, that brings its whole other baggage itself, right? If God is my father, then your, my, your father might have been great or non-existence or mixture of both of those. And so the heart of how you address and think about your father now begins to come into, if God is our father and he's adopted us, man, is he, is he living up to my expectations of a father? Is the hurt and brokenness from my earthly father now shaping in how I view God and I can even come to him? And so to say we see each other as family sounds beautiful. In fact, it's one of the favorite things I love call. You see most of the time in, in Groomy, I say family because I love saying, hey, we're a family. But that does not mean it's just all beautiful and easy all the time, right? In fact, we'll look at this more. We're, we know we're family when we're having to deal with each other's mess. Because that's what family does. And sometimes it's not that you just like say, hey, let me take on your mess. Sometimes your me the mess gets dumped on you, right? In family, you don't get a choice. You walk into like, oh, this is what this looks like. So how are we to live in light of this idea of as God is our father, right? We've got to address our broken issues of father and family inside of there. And that's a journey. That's not flip a light switch and we figure it out. That's not read some verses and all of a sudden, oh, okay, now I've got a better view. No, that's a journey. That's sanctification. That's a long process. So if we're to live as family, to look this out, we're to see God as our heavenly father who loves us, and we're to love God and love one another. But, but why do we love God? I'll ask you this question. Why, why do we love God? I'd love to hear your answer of why do we love God? Why do you love God? Because he loves us, right? Scripture tells us because he first loved us. It's not I love God because I'm trying to prove myself to him. It's not I love God because I want him to love me. So I've got to love him first so that he'll love me. It's we love God as our father because he first loved us. He's pursued us. He's, he's come after us. It's not so he will love us, right? But that's often if you think of a baby, right? Um, uh, Wyatt's not in here right now, but uh, Kendrick... Um, uh, when we were at summer camp, 
a few, few, I guess about a month ago, gave an illustration about the two different pictures of people uh, in relation to seeing God uh, as loving us, right? And if you think of uh, a dog, if a dog, you walk, you have a dog, you walk in your door and he sees you, right? Gets real happy, he's running around. Uh, we wonder, what is that dog thinking, right? Um, I just say dogs aren't thinking anything. We just put our emotions on them. But we can have that discussion later. But what is that dog thinking, right? What is he thinking? And we're, we're, the dog's looking at us and going, man, they love me. They, take, they give me food. They take me on walks. They lo- I love, love this. This is awesome, right? They, they must be God, right? That's what the dog's thinking. That person there must be, they can do everything for me. Takes me on walk, do everything, right? But we have cat people too, right? Snyders, cat people as well, right? We have cat people in the world. And, and cat, a cat, when you come home, it sees you, pretends that you live in its world, right? You get domain over it, you feed it, you take care of its litter box and do all this stuff. And what does the cat think? The cat thinks, I must be God. They do all this stuff for me, right? And I, I say this not to the little cats and dogs. The picture is this, right? We, we end up in one of those two camps ourselves. It's easy to go, oh yeah, I always just, I think of my, I look to God and go, oh yes, thank you for all you're giving me. I, but we often respond, probably more often with the idea, hey look, all this thing's happening for me, look, I must be the one that's in charge right here. And so we have to reshape our view, not, to, not because of what, it's what he has done for us that causes us to love him. He is always the initiator. Always the initiator. So I want us to look in two sections here, Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4, of some pictures of our identity that, God, that we are talked about as children of God. Romans 8, 12 through 17 says this. So then brothers, and again, there's this title all throughout. Talk, when they're talking to one another, there's con- familial connection. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh or according again of what you do. That's the other way to look at that, right? Don't, look, don't live according to what you do, brothers. If you live according to the flesh, according to what you do, you'll die. But the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. So you've got to die to, to doing and earning and be alive to receiving to receiving the Father's love. For you are all led by the Spirit of God. Uh, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, verse 14. For you did not receive, again, receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and if heirs of God, then fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What a beautiful picture of this. It's not about, hey, let me do this for you, God, to receive from you. No, it's let me receive from you this new life. Let me receive from you this. We're led by the Spirit. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's a beautiful picture. I don't come to God going, ah, uh, God, will you please, maybe, kind of, I hope. We get to cry, God, look at this. Would you see, you can't, you won't imagine this, right? Did you see that over there? God, I, I want to be a part of that. That's the picture of the father and a child to join in with that. 
We often, though, see God as that angry father who doesn't want to be bothered by us. I don't want, I don't want your stuff, right? Again, how we hear some of these words, right? How are you crying out, Abba, Father, right here? Are we going, Abba, Father? Are we going, Abba, Father? Are we, like, scared? Are we fearful? Because we're afraid of how the Father will look at us. We're afraid the Father's not accepting us unless we're going to be perfect. He's like, no, I want to hear the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs and of heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We receive all that Christ has been given through us. Again, we receive all of God's love. Hear the same similar thought uh, Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, again, this is a redeem us from having to do, so that we might be children, so that we might receive, again, their adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We see this beautiful picture. You, it's not about you having to do something, but receiving what he has been given to you. And that's a sonship, a being a child. In this imagery, if you're going, ladies in the room, this is not ignoring you, but in the cultural line, the only way to receive anything in here was to be a son. So this means for all of us, men and women, we are born into this. We are brought into this as if we are all the firstborn son, as if we are Jesus. And that's a beautiful picture. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God, adopted, no longer slaves or orphans, right? We are adopted, co-heirs with Christ because of his life and death and resurrection. We get it all. That's what I love about this. This picture is it's not like we get something down the line. We get all of his love right now. It's all waiting to be given to us. We must receive it. That's part of the hardest problem is that are we willing to receive his love? Because I really want to earn his love, to prove that he's done it right. That was my biggest struggle. That was the thing I ran into, is that for all of my life leading up to this time, probably 40-something years at the time that this was going on, 20 years of ministry, I was trying to earn God's love. Prove to him you chose the right person. You did right in choosing me. I'm gonna earn, I'm gonna earn my love. Because when I earn my love, what does it do? It makes it about me. I'm very important. But when I receive, it has nothing to do with me but what the ones giving it to me has done. That's the Father. So think of the pictures, orphan and child of God. So often we act more as an orphan than we do a child of God. What does an orphan feel like, look like? They feel alone. They lack the vitality of daily intimacy with God, right? It's full of self-concern. How do I take care of myself? If you're an orphan, you have to take care of yourself. I've got to do this for me. There's no father to care for you. An orphan might feel anxious or uh, with overfelt needs, relationships, money, health. I'm alone and nobody cares for me and I'm not happy about it and I've got to do it for myself. An orphan might also feel condemned, guilty, unworthy before God and others. 
So we, our life looks very different if we're living out of this orphan identity or the child of God has a growing assurance that God is really my loving heavenly father. Will we doubt it? Will we forget that? Absolutely. But there's a growth in that. We don't shrink in the love of the Father. We grow in the love of the Father because the more we realize, look, he still loves me in the midst of all of my mess, right? To hear that again, God loves you. We sang it today, God really loves us. Like that's a revelation. Wait, God really does love us. It's not a joke. It's not because of anything we have to do. It's because it's there fully, completely. A child of God trusts the Father and has a growing confidence in his loving care. Is being freed up from worry. Not increasing in worry, but being freed from worry. I don't have to worry anymore because I trust the Father. The more I trust the Father, the more I experience his love, the more I want more of that and not doing it on my own. It's a growing dependence on the Father, dependence on the Holy Spirit, dependence on what Jesus has done for me and not on myself, right? That's maturity in faith. That's maturing as a child of God. It seems really different than what we're doing with, you know, our children as we're raising them for independence. Go, go be independent. Go do your own thing, right? So you don't have to be by me. And then one day, wait, whoa, 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 right? We were joking with Rich and Barbie the other night. Who's going to take care of them? They're like, wait, at the end, like maybe we don't want to do too good a job of sending me out just in case I need them back at the end, right? I need you to come back here and take care of me. But maturity in faith is this reminder that we're continuing to growing. We're feeling loved, forgiven, and totally accepted because Christ's merit really clothes us. As adopted sons and daughters then, when we see ourselves, do we respond as a slave or an orphan? Or do we respond as a child of God? And again, some of that's going to be, how do you hear that voice, the voice of God speaking to you? Is it a wagging finger condemning you? Is it bringing you back in? Say, I love you. I care for you. Yeah, you've messed up. And you're going to mess up, and I know it. I love you. Keep coming back to me. I want you right here. It never stops. I think we're continually learning, learning what it means to live out this identity. So we must show ourselves some grace. Show ourselves some grace. This quote from Richard Lovelace, I think, greatly gives us a picture of that. Richard Lovelace says, it's an item of faith that we are children of God. There's plenty of evidence in us against it, right? We see plenty of evidence against that we are a child of God, that we have him inside of us. But the faith that surmounts this evidence and that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and acceptance from other sources, it's actually the root of holiness. We are not saved by the love we exercise, but by the love that we trust. Again, listen to that. We're not saved by the love that we're doing, the way we're loving. We're saved by how we are loved, by the way the Father has loved us. And this is not only for us as individuals, but as the church, right? Ephesians 2.19 tells us in, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. We aren't just individually a part of the family. We are collectively together, right? So the church, just like family, is simultaneously glorious and strange, beautiful and hard. There are families of imperfect people being sanctified by a holy God, living out dozens of one another statements, right, found in the Bible. So in churches, we see glimpses of our Heavenly Father 
and our heavenly hope and a breakthrough of an eternal way of living, right? We see that. We see God do miraculous things and we see the mess and hurt that comes from being in a family. And we long for healthy churches and to know that we don't find perfection even in the healthiest church. So I've shared this image before. I want you to see it again. I want to look at this image, the, the uh, family mountain there, Reagan. There we go. The, another uh, person like describing this in the Soma family drew this out. And uh, I've loved, I've not even wanted to perfect this image anymore. I think it's great. And I think this is where we all start when we start talking about church as family. We start talking about living life together. And we think, oh, this is going to be so beautiful, right? We're going to have meals at each other's houses. It's always going to be perfect. And it's this happy little hill. And we're like, this is fun. What we really want is the family mountain over there. We want to get to the top of that family mountain. We think that that's what this looks like. There's only way to get from the happy hill to the family mountain. And it's through the crappy valley is what they've called this. What I would say is the messy valley. It's the life valley. It's the only, we, have to, we have to live this life together because what we're gonna recognize is right here is we get let down. We're gonna let each other down. Why? Because we're imperfect. We're gonna not be there when we need somebody else. That's gonna happen. We're gonna lose sight of who we are and what we've done. We're gonna think we have to earn it and all of a sudden we're gonna look around and go, wait, how do I get there? And so we have to, we get down here and we go, that's it. And so what often we would do is just easily back out of there and like, how do I just find this over here where I don't get hurt, where I don't have any of the mess? So I can just show up and again, I can, you can do this here. You can show up here on Sunday, be here happy, happy, happy. We see everybody, love everybody and walk away and never engage. You can do that in any church. This church isn't any different. You can step into it, do there, but never know. Or you can choose to step in and say, I want to get to here. And I think we've experienced in different seasons, like the beauty of the family mountain where, we're, where we walk through this. We've been hurt by one another. It is impossible to be family and not be hurt by one another. So if, someone in the, if you've never been hurt by someone in the church, they've never let you down, then I don't know that you've really been family with them. They didn't do what you thought they were going to do. Or they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Or, or you didn't do what you thought they were going to do. And you felt guilty and shame. And so you began to shrink away. And so that picture of forgiveness and love and care and hope for one another is in there. Think about for you a major hurdle as we look at what keeps us from being willing to get down into that valley, get into the mess. The, the messiness of living life as a missional church, as a church on mission together with this idea of family is real. And I'll be honest, we've had people that have been with us that when we get to the mess, they're like, I don't want that. I'd rather not. And so they find other places to go. They do something else. They're not willing to walk through that. And again, I don't look at them and go, oh, shame, shame on them. We're so much better. No, that's a whole other. It's just the reality. We have to be willing to walk through that. One of those major hurdles we deal with that everyone deals with is in a cultural idol that we have in our culture right now is individual, individualism. That I have my own faith to keep my things to myself. You be you, um, and I'm going to be me. We just give that to each other, and that's the way to be. It'll all be fine. But that isn't family and it isn't the church because we're bent to do it ourselves already. I don't need anybody here. I can just stay here by myself. But to get over here, I've got to walk through this. I've got to be known and for others to know me. Our individualism will keep you from reaching the family mountain because you will, you will have to know me too well. You'll have to see, I'll have to hurt you and I'll be hurt by you and I don't want that. 
I don't know if I can trust you. I, and, and, and you've got to trust me. And so that means this is a both-way street. I don't know if I like this. We're afraid of people not accepting us, right? We're afraid of rejection. And what if we aren't perfect or if we have flaws and they see it and they won't love us? That we're called to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to make sure there's no need among us, right? Going back to Acts, that's what they were doing. The only way to be family like that is to love and care for one another. So how can we care about others if our needs have to be met first, right? That's so often what happens to us is we feel like my need must be met first and then I can care for everyone else. If we're living life on our own, it's a lonely place to be and we can be surrounded by people yet no, no one know us and feel empty and go like, I, I don't even know. And again, that can happen here. That didn't have to happen in a thousand person church. That can happen in our church because we've learned to live and not need anything from anyone or to be a bother to anyone else. I don't wanna need anything from anybody and I don't wanna be a bother from anybody, right? We've talked about the thing we have the most of in our life is need. The thing we hate most about ourselves is how much need we have. So I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't wanna be needy, but yet we need one another. I'm needy to God, I need the gospel, I need, I need salvation, I need his power, but I don't wanna be needy to anybody else out here, that's not family. made me think in my head just that, like of a toddler. I can do it. I'm fine. I don't need your help. And, and to God, how silly that might sound. Y yes, you do. We see that. Right? You watch, like, you're not going to be able to do that. So we're trying to live this life as a family, but we can't do it because we're trying to do it and we're afraid of sharing our need or being needy. So what is true about how we should live each day in light of who we are? How do we live as family? If we are a family, it changes how we live um, and who we live with and what we are and what we do around each other, right? So as individuals, think about this. How would you, how would your relationship change if Jesus, rather than personal interest, was the glue? If Jesus was the one that was, was uniting your relationships, not that you just worked with him or not that you just were neighbors with him, but Jesus was the one that drew you there. Jesus was the one that was calling you there. Would it be easier or to be more difficult? And there's probably a little bit of both. Like it'd be easier in one sense because then I go, okay, Jesus called me here. Then there'd be harder because I'm like, why did you call me here? <laughs> why these people? I don't understand it. Why now? So a couple of things for us, to, uh, three things I want us to look at to what do we do um, to be family with one another in this idea. First, this is gonna sound simple, but we've gotta be around each other. Um, proximity matters. You can't be family with people, right, that you're not around, that you're not sharing life with, that are not involved in what's going on. That's why, again, we think about geography when we're doing stuff. Like, what, how realistic can we be involved in one another's life, right, if we're not intentional to do that? So if we are further apart, right, we have to be intentional to be family, right? So we have to want to be around each other, we have to be willing to be around each other, we have to know each other, spend time together. So let me just tell you how this worked this last weekend, this last week for us. Um, 10 days ago, Joe and I sat down and we're looking at the, the, the calendar and said, okay, here's some ways we wanna be intentional. Right, we wanna do, you know, I, was like, I have a desire to do some stuff around the football games, have some you know, people over, and my thought in that was like, these new neighbors we've reached out to, this is what I wanna do. All right, this is where we're gonna go. 
So sometime last, early last week, maybe Sunday or Monday, my mom reached out and said, oh, by the way, like half, all, almost all of her side of the family is gonna be in town this weekend. Awesome. Well, we're having a, uh, you know, cooking hamburgers and watching the Texas game. So wh what did they do? They invited themselves over for that, which is great because it's family, but it goes, okay, that, that changes dynamics a little bit, right? Because now there's 30 people here and we don't have any extra person. We've not invited another extra person outside of that. Okay, that's different. And then yesterday, um, some girls are doing stuff, the boys are doing stuff, and then Heath, we have a game, and Heath invited himself over and, and their family. And you, and you hear that, and in one sense, he invited himself over because he heard it, but he also knew he could because that's what family means, right? So I say that not in a negative sense, he invited himself over. I'm saying that's what family looks like. When I have something going on, I'm not afraid to go, hey, can I do that with you? Hey, can we, that, that's how you know your family. Because what did we say? We didn't go, no, sorry, this is for like family family, and you're just kind of like pseudo family, so no, it's not there. No, because we want everybody to experience the family, familiar relationship. So then I'm going, I'm trusting God with that. That's, that was a beautiful image to me of what it means to be family. My family had, they didn't look at it and go like, hey, would that be too much? Is this overtaking your deal? They're just like, hey, we're coming. How many people is that? What can we bring? Which is great. That's family too. What can we bring? We want to be a part. They didn't just put it on top of it and say, hey, you're in charge of entertaining us. No, how, how do we do this together? My cousin's wife was just cleaning up like crazy. I was like, can Kim come to everything we do? Because she was cleaning like crazy. This is awesome. But that's family. So we've got to be around each other. We've got to invite people into our life. And it has to be that open invitation. Come be a part of our life. Does that mean for introverts? Some of you introverts are like, I'm not, I can't be family like that, sorry. Right? That's why Jill and I were having that conversation. Hey, she's more introverted, I'm more extroverted. How do we do this together? How do we do this and be family together? Right? And that, hey, maybe you just need to hang out in a room over here and have little, smaller individual conversations when everything else is going, that's okay. Those are all okay responses to that. But we have to invite each other into our life, right? High invite, low expectation. The expectation is that everything I do, you have to be a part of. No, hey, high invite, low expectation. So be around each other. How are you doing that? Think about it right now. How are you around the people? Is God doing it naturally? Do I need to be more intentional? How are, you around, how are we around each other? The second thing is to care for one another. Do you know what is going on in the lives of others in our church? So how do we do that? Again, this doesn't mean everyone has to know everybody, but when we know something's going on in someone's lives, we wanna care for them. We wanna be a part of that. We wanna be broken with them. We wanna grieve when they're grieving. We wanna celebrate when they're celebrating. We wanna do that. That's a beautiful part of being family, right? Have you ever just thought of anybody randomly throughout the dingles, well, that was weird, I don't know why I thought of them. Like, I'll just tell you right now, that's the spirit at work. Why did I randomly think of that person today? The Holy Spirit saying, hey, think of them. Now, this is my response to that. I wanna text them and phone call and say, hey, hey, just wanted to let you know, th think about you today, praying for you. Just, and if there's anything I can specifically pray for, let me know. That's an easy way to be family, right? If I thought of my mom or my sisters or my cousins and just they're, they're, I, I knew what was going on in their life and this, it would be great to text them or give them a call, I would just do it. I wouldn't go like, well, am I gonna bother them? Are they going to feel worried about it? No, I was just going to do it because they're family. The same way, if God's putting someone on your heart, how do, I, how do I connect with them? The other question is, do you have the numbers of other people? Do you have people's phone numbers or ways to contact them? Can you pray for them and reach out to them? 
Maybe even the idea of being curious, asking about others. I've loved that in our uh, in RMC uh, before the locks left. Alex was super curious. I loved having him around. It developed a curiosity in our in our because we're just wanting to know about each other. We had several new families, so we're like trying. How do we get to know each other? We have to be curious. To care about people means to be curious. Tell me more about that. How's that going for you? Right? I wish Judah was here. He's super intentional. He hears one thing, and then he'll come back later. He's like, "Hey, you talked about this long ago. How is that going?" I felt like that was like a throwaway. Like no one's asking me about that. That's amazing. Because we're curious and we want to know, right? We take on that idea of caring for family. So being around each other, caring for another, and then lastly, to love as you have been loved. To love as you have been loved. The, the, the love the Father has given us, because he's first loved us, we can, we can give love. What, what if we led with loving other people? What if that was the way people knew us because why? Of our love, right? That's what... First John tells us, like, how do you know your believers? By the love you have for one another, by the love you have for other people. Where do we get that? It's the love that's given to us from God. It's the love we've given from God. Realize that I'm a mess, you're a mess, the people that God has brought into your life, they are a mess, and they have their own mess. But just as the Father has loved you in your mess, you can love others in their mess. Not when it all gets better, but right where they're at. So let the love of God so overwhelm you that you have love to give others and let others experience the love of the Father through you. That's what it looks like to be family. That God's love so overwhelms you that you're giving that love to other people. You're showing them there. We must be intentional. We must be reminded, hey, we've got our own, what it's gonna do also, this is probably maybe one of the hard things I probably should have said earlier, is that when we live like this, it's gonna bring up our family and our father baggage. Like, that's why we need one another. That we might be able to address that and deal with that. Because he has loved us, let us love one another. Let me pray for us today. Father, this morning as we, as we gathered United by your love, let us experience that love in a way that desires to bring others in to say, come and see and experience the love of the Father. He really does love us. He loves us. Father, give us that love. Let us experience that love. If we have hurts, resentment, if we're carrying around with us the weight of broken relationship, may you make it right in our hearts? Would we be willing to forgive and be forgiven, to repent? God, would you continue to make us into a family? Would you continue to do that, Father, that we might experience your love in our heart and in our life? Thank you for being our perfect Father. Thank you for loving us with a love that our world needs to see through an imperfect family loving each other. Would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.